Oasis family, it is so good to be back. Shout out to the Pumpkin Spice Bros for such a great introduction. I feel like I've been gone a lifetime. I feel like, uh, you know, when uh, Tom Hanks, I feel like I've been out with a volleyball named Wilson on a deserted island. And then I came back and my wife has remarried and the church has a new pastor. You know how you came back after that and like everything had changed? It's not that bad. But for me, five weeks is a long time. It's good to be back. And I really, uh, I'm just so grateful for our church. Not only the story that Colton shared about your generosity, but just the spirit and the, and the life. One of the things that I was concerned about, obviously, is I'm the lead pastor. People want to hear me speak. And if I don't speak in five weeks, is any, everyone going to check out? And you did it. And you actually really gave me time. It was more than a time of of refreshing. It was a time of realigning. I wanted to make sure, I didn't feel like I was physically tired, but I wanted to make sure that I was aligned with what the Lord was doing in our church. And um, taking a break from having to uh, hear from him what to share with you um, helped me uh, hear from God for myself and from my family. And I can honestly say I've gotten better, my marriage has gotten better, and my vision uh, that God has given me is more clearer than ever before. So I wanted to thank you so much for allowing me to have this time and space to hear from God, um, get a lot of habits healthy again from being in the word and to prayer and, and really hearing from God for what he has for us as a church community. So shout out to yourself. Put a hand clap in the chat. Y'all are so amazing. And so it feels good to be back. And I was thinking, there's a lot of pressure. You know, it's my first Sunday back in five weeks. I was thinking about preaching one of my best messages from the past that you forgot about already. Or and like maybe like, oh, that sounds so familiar. Yeah, because I preached it two years ago and you forgot it. I'll never forget one time this guy comes up to me and he goes, Pastor Julian, I'm not lying to you. That last Sunday, you preached the most fire message I've ever heard in my life. It was so fire. I said, which, which one? Like from a couple weeks ago? He said, yeah. Uh, what was it about? And he went, um, you was like, um, you were talking about when, um, uh, oh, shoot, oh, shoot. Uh, when, when we started saying, oh, shoot, I'm giving away. He was black. We started saying, oh, shoot. And we start, we forgot. We don't remember. He literally, he literally told me I had preached the best message he ever heard in his life two weeks ago and he had forgot. So I was thinking about doing that because you probably forgot it. And I was like, no, man, I don't want to do that. It's, it's no pressure. I really want to share something that God has been putting on my heart the last few weeks. And so we're going to turn our Bibles right now to the book of Zephaniah. Okay. 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 Zephaniah. You probably don't even know that's in the Bible because I just found that out too. No, I'm just playing. I'm just playing. I knew Zephaniah was in the Bible. <laughs> Learn something new every day of Zephaniah chapter 3, verses uh, verse 9. We're going to read one verse. And this is something that just literally like shook me to my core when I read it. Zephaniah 3, verse 9 says, uh, God was, before this, was getting ready to deal with the remnant. Doesn't it feel like a remnant sometimes? Like, like we're dealing with the church that was left over after the pandemic. And, and this verse, Zephaniah the prophet, is speaking to a same group of people like you and I where we kind of feel like we're left over out of what once was. And he says this after dealing with some other things in the church. He says, Then I will purify the speech of all people so that everyone 
can worship the Lord together. I started on this journey. I wanted to speak tonight on unity. And I realized there's so much unity in this verse. Now, I could start to unpack theologically the power of unity, but really, this is unity right here. I don't need to define the word unity. We all know what unity means. It's everyone having the same mind, the same thought, doing the same thing, not necessarily the same way, but it's, there's this united thing that happens when the Holy Spirit comes, and look what God wants to do. And I've been believing for revival in a special way, but God is saying, hey, before I actually can bring people back, I got to deal with this remnant, and I got to do a couple of things with them together, united. I need to purify the speech of all people so that they can all worship the Lord together. And I start thinking, what in the world does purifying the speech of people have to do with worship? A lot. <laughs> A lot. We worship with the same mouth we complain about. We worship with the same mouth we grumble about. We worship with the same mouth we cuss with. I mean, some of us, there is grace, but a lot of times we'll cuss with our homies and then try to use that same mouth to worship the Lord. We, we bless the Lord and then curse another person. We criticize with the same mouth we worship with. And I was thinking, I believe that the Holy Spirit wants to have us worship in unity, but before that, he has to purify the speech of all people. Let me give you a little background on, on why I actually took a five-week break. But before I do that, I want to give you the title of my message. Oh, we're ready. The title of my message is, Say It Again for the People in the Back. Ooh. That is the title of my message. It's a little long, but you'll get it. It's, it's, it's relevant to where I'm going uh, because uh, I took a five-week break because, honestly, I was getting a little frustrated. I was getting a little upset with the state of the church, the state of the world. And if you follow me on Instagram... I was starting to strongly voice my opinions about some of these issues having uh, going on in society. And I would find that uh, certain people would like what I have to say and certain people would hate what I have to say. Certain people would get really excited and certain people would get really frustrated. I was finding myself, to be, to be honest, I was dealing with a little hurt because the people who seemed to get most frustrated were church leaders or church people. And the people who seemed to be most encouraged were people who aren't part of the church at all. And it started to make me feel, if I'm being honest, a little bit out of place, a little bit discombobulated. I didn't go to college, but let me just use that word. A little bit off. And I'm like, Lord, am I supposed to? What's going on? Why, when I say what I feel the Lord is asking me to say, and, and why is it that uh, church people don't like it and people who don't, aren't really church people love it? Am I not supposed to be doing this? Is this not? And it started to make me feel out of place. And the Lord showed me something. And it's a small thing. I had posted something, and I don't feel like I said it with a lot of grace. I don't feel like I said it with a lot of love. I think it was more emotion-driven than spirit-driven. And I was angry, and I was frustrated. And my most harsh, direct comment that I don't know built anybody up, there was a comment at the bottom, and it said, say it again for the people in the back. And I start saying, now if you know this phrase, this simply means that I agree with you, I want you to repeat it for the people who don't agree with now me and you. 
And that phrase stuck out to me, stood out to me. Say it again for the people in the back. How, how do, who is, who's in the back? Who's in the front? Who's in the back? Well, the people who are in the back are the people who are not listening. And it realized that we create these hierarchies based off people who agree with what we say. And we, we create these clubs. And I was doing the same thing. And the Lord showed me I was speaking about a lot of things, looking for affirmation and for people to agree with me. I wasn't speaking those things in love. I wasn't speaking those things led by the Spirit. And I deeply desire that to the best of my ability, that everything that comes out of my mouth would be God-ordained. And I realized the motivations for what I was saying were not what God would want. And so God wanted to purify my speech because the gifts of God are without repentance. So I can always communicate. I can always share. But I wanted to know that what I said was God. And and sometimes it took silence. If you've been following me, I haven't been posting much on Instagram. I didn't speak because as I look back on certain things that I said, even in sermons, there was frustration in it. Now, I'm human just like you, um, and so I get frustrated just like you do. But in certain things, I would look back on things that I said, and there was was, uh, criticism in it. There was ridicule for other people who didn't see it that way. And I wanted the Lord to purify my speech. I believe that what I took five weeks off to do for me Because ultimately, I communicate a lot. What I've discovered is that's what God wants to do at Oasis. And he just started with me. What if God wants to purify your speech? What if God wants to uh, help you stop complaining so much? What if God wants to help you stop criticizing so much? Have we ever noticed that when everybody doesn't do things the way that we want them to do, we don't teach them, we criticize them? We don't show them. We don't give them any grace. I was doing that. And if I'm doing it, you're doing it. You guessed it. Matter of fact, a a crazy, amazing leader once told me that whatever leaders do in moderation, followers do in excess. So if I'm doing that, you're really doing that. And I started to realize that people who call Oasis home, when I follow them on Instagram, 50% of their Instagrams, 50% of what they have to say is blasting other people for not believing or thinking the way that they believe or think. And I am responsible as your pastor for leading you away from doing that and so that the Spirit of God can purify our speech so that everyone can worship the Lord together. The church has all the black people worshiping over here and sometimes all the Hispanic people worshiping over here and all the Asian people worshiping over here and all the white people worshiping over here and all the Democrats worshiping over here and all the Republicans worshiping over here and, and, and Presbyterians over here and, and, and Pentecostals over here. And God's saying, I, I wish we could do it together. I wish we could do it together. Can you imagine the first worship service that Paul sat in? who used to be Saul, who oversaw the killing of Stephen. Can you imagine? This guy had just been rounding up and putting Christians in in jail and putting Christians and killing Christians. And and then he got radically saved by an encounter with Jesus. And he was just at church and they were all worshiping together. Now, it's going to take a lot for us as a community to really worship God together. I'm not saying this is the only thing we need to deal with, but what I'm presenting to you, uh, our Oasis online family, is that I believe the biggest issue in our church, if I may say this so boldly, are the things that come out of our mouths. 
and even the good things, the motivations behind what we say. I had to take a break so that the Lord would purify my speech. Matthew 12, verse 36 says this, and I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless word they speak. I mean, I knew theologically that I'd have to give God an account for what I did. But I didn't know I'd have to, we'd have to talk about what I said. Ah, man. So I'm trying to stay away. You know, as a Christian, you might be trying to stay away from, from, from drugs, alcohol. But God's saying, hey, you imagine going to heaven? And God says, um, Brother Clay. I don't know it's the first name that came to mind. And I don't know, maybe the Lord talks like me. Brother Clay, in 2010, can you imagine? You said this about this person. Let's talk about it on the day of judgment. Hey, Pastor Julian, remember when you got really upset at those other people and you posted that? Before you get into heaven, we need to address that. You'll give account for every careless word they speak. Careless is an obvious definition. When you're speaking, you're caring less than you should about what you say. That's profound. That's scary. What if every word that came out of your mouth, God is either going to judge you for it or bless you for it? What if we begin to talk as if our words were valuable? Because guess what? They are. Your words are valuable. And I know you've heard a message on the power of words. And this is not just a message on the power of words. This is also a message on the destruction that they can cause and the unity that they can prevent if we don't allow the Lord to purify our speech. Ephesians 4, verse 29 uh, through 32 says this, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouths, but only such, only, only say what is good for building up as fits the occasions that it may give grace to those who hear. So your responsibility of communicating as a Christian. Now, I took five weeks off as a pastor, but maybe you should take five weeks off as a person because this is not just for pastors. This verse is for Christians. That the goal of what I'm saying is that it would give grace to those who are hearing it. Now, why would anyone need grace? Someone needs grace because whatever I'm telling them, they're not doing. So the idea of me communicating if my speech has been purified is not that they would know that they were wrong, but that they would get some grace in the middle of discovering that what they did was wrong. Whoa. So, So if someone does something that I know is not of God, then my goal of communicating that is that it would give grace to those who hear it. That wasn't my goal in anything I was saying. My goal was to let people know that they're wrong. And I'm right. And secretly to discover how many people out there really agree with me. That's why we say what we say. When's the last time you saw something encouraging that somebody had something to say? Like we always like, and I, I'm not the, 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 the guy with social media. I'm not the guy to bash Instagram Like, I'm not that person, I'm taking a break from Instagram for a month, and then you're back in two weeks, and you act like nobody noticed. But I'm like, I'm not that guy. You know what I mean? But I remember when Instagram, like, started a couple of years ago. It's like, it it just just got a little out of hand. You know that guy 
that, uh, you know, has 134 followers. And then he posts his picture of Panda Express and goes, yum, no one cares. <laughs> no one cares. Just eat your Panda Express. Like, no one cares that you're at Panda. And so we kind of like, my point is we kind of just get caught up and we don't say things that build people up and that they may receive grace. So this is what I mean. And, and I think this has been happening in our home a lot where, you know, when my wife would do something that I didn't think she should be doing and maybe even vice versa. When I talked to my wife, I wasn't trying to make sure that she received grace for not doing that. I was trying to correct the behavior. I was trying to correct it. I was trying to make it change. But that's not my job. My job is how do I say this? Where when you hear it, even if you understand that you're wrong, you get some grace out of it. And if I'm not speaking that way, the Bible says that is corrupt talk. And the next verse says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you with all, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as Christ, God in Christ forgave you. So that verse about grieving the Holy Spirit, we just came out of a series on the Holy Spirit, but that verse about grieving the Holy Spirit is sandwiched between what we say and what's in our heart that's making us say that. So you could be saying something, but if there's bitterness and wrath and anger in your heart, and your boy was bitter. Your boy was bitter. I was like some like, just, I was sour. I was like a walking, talking sour patch kid. Just bitter. Bitter that people ain't doing this. Bitter that people aren't doing that. And if I'm not careful, I start to exalt my ideologies and destroy my theology that God has created us and we're made in his image. And I need to love those who I'm having difficulty understanding. This is purified speech. This speech being purified will help us worship the Lord together. I often find out, uh, and I love our church, how diverse it is. Uh, last time we checked, it was like 20-something black, 20-something white, 20-something Asian, 20-something Hispanic. It's amazing. But I often think that we are, uh, I don't think that anybody in our church is, uh, deals with racism. I don't think that anybody in our church has racism towards anybody. I don't think that anyone who calls Oasis home is a racist. I really don't. But I want to coin a new phrase called thoughtism. See, racism is when you don't like someone and you hate someone because of the color of their skin. Thoughtism is when you hate someone because of the way they think. And we got thoughtism in our church. And I wonder if thoughtism is as bad to God as racism. Where we give ourselves permission to hate people because they think differently, because they have a different opinion. Matter of fact, culture will tell you that if you think biblically about sexuality, they call that hate speech. That's not hate speech, it's Bible speech. And that doesn't mean that I should, you know, ridicule or criticize or judge someone, but, but if you don't think the way that I think, you hate me. And if you, I've, if, if you don't think the way that I think, I hate you. We have got to stop this because it creates words that God doesn't want us to say. And God has designed 
words to create. The Bible says, in the beginning, God said, let there be light. Think about when you go outside on a hike. Do you know everything you see in all of creation was created by the words of God except for you? The Bible says when it's time to be to create you, he put his hands in the dirt and he formed you with his hands. He put his hands on humanity and his words on, on creation. So he, he, he almost dealt with humanity in a level of intimacy. Think about God's hands touching dirt. And God dealt with humanity in a level of intimacy that the stars, the moon, the skies, the mountains, the seas will never know. This is the type of things that we have to have in our spirit when we talk to humans. I, I, I was um, at a movie theater once, and it wasn't my finest moment, um, or maybe it was. I don't know. But my son um, was, I think we were in The Incredibles or something like that, and my son started doing something. And um, this lady in the front row, who was watching The Incredibles by herself. So first of all, <laughs> uh, you'll know why. Anyone who goes to The Incredibles by themselves, if you've done that um, and you've yelled at kids, I get why she was yelling at kids. She was probably alone. But my son barely did something. He was like running. He was like three. And he accidentally bumped her chair. And she turned around to my son and said, can you stop? Mm, I took about five minutes off from being a pastor. I didn't even go lie. I was like, Lord, this woman is talking to my son. And I said, don't you talk to my son that way. If he's doing something, you tell me. You don't talk to my son that way. And she said, I'm sorry. Now, here's the thing. I wonder if God is saying to you and I, even if we're talking to someone we don't agree with and we use that harsh tone, don't you dare talk to my son that way. Wow. And my son was actually acting up. I'm not even going to lie. I said, after I talked to her, I went to my son and said, if you don't sit your butt down in the name of Jesus. But even though my son was the problem, as a dad, you can't just talk to my kids any old kind of way. I'm going to say something. You can't criticize my kids. I'm the dad. If I want to say something to them, I'll say something to them. You can't discourage my kids. I want to talk to my kids. And what if God is saying to you and I, be careful how you talk to my son. Be careful how you talk to my daughter. Don't get it twisted. They are tripping, but don't talk to them that way. Wow. Don't talk to them that way. Be kind to one another, verse 32 says, tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave Hugh, do you understand, do you and I understand that the entire gospel message is God trying to figure out how to be close to people who are doing the exact opposite of what he wants them to do? Do you understand that's the goal? That he was trying to get rid of sin, not because sin, uh, 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 not because he didn't want to be around sin. Watch this. He didn't, he couldn't be around sin because he's holy. It's not that he didn't want to be around sin. He can't because he's holy. So what he did was, is he solved this crazy problem that the devil gave God with Adam and Eve because the devil put what God hated, sin, in who God loved, humanity. So God had to solve the problem. How do I become close to who I love when the devil has put what I hate in who I love? 
Some of us have these convictions and these ideologies, and we are faced with the same dilemma I believe God was in. And this is why I needed God to purify my speech, because I had the same issue. How do do I love this person when when they have in them what I hate, but I'm supposed to love them? Guess what the answer is? Jesus. God sent Jesus for forgiveness so that God can interact and become close to who he loved when who he loved contained what he hated. Be tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. I've said this a million times and I'll say it again. My favorite thing that Martin Luther King has ever said, he's said a lot of great things, but on the last day of his life, church family, Martin Luther King was getting death threats and they told him not to go to Memphis. And he went to Memphis anyway, knowing that uh, there were credible death threats. And he said this phrase, I do not know what will happen to me at the hands of some of my sick white brothers. Wait, what? So you called the people who are threatening to assassinate you brothers. Martin Luther King deeply wanted to be reconciled with white people and wanted white people to be reconciled with black people. You know, Christ died so not just so we could have relationship with God. Christ died so we could have relationship with each other. And the death of Christ is supposed to remove the things. Oh, I feel like preaching after five weeks back. The death of Christ was designed to remove the thing in you, sin, that kept you from being relationship. But also, it was designed to remove the thing in you that kept you from being in relationship with each other. The Christ went this way. I mean, the cross went this way and that way. It went up to God, reconciliation out to people, reconciliation. So if you have a relationship with God and your relationships with people are crumbling, you've missed the point of the gospel. It is designed so that we would have the heart of God, that the goal is to remove everything that would get in the way of us being in relationship with each other. We will not let computer screens, we will not let phone screens, we will not let a digital era of trying to get the gospel to people remove or create a block from us being in relationship with each other. We will not allow the medium through which the content gets to you to stop us from being known and loved by people. We will not allow that to happen. The cross is too important. The Bible says we are now reconciled to each other in Ephesians 2. So if you are a person of faith, you've allowed God to remove the barrier sin that kept you from God, but some of the barriers that keep you from people, which are your opinions and your speech. I realized the things that I was saying was keeping me from people, keeping me from people that God was called, calling me to be brothers with. And so I want to give you four areas quickly in the time that I have left that I believe that God wants to purify our speech and the words that come out of our mouth. And those four areas are one is going to be speaking in tongues. Now, don't panic because um, we're going to be talking about these four areas a lot uh, um, as a church. And so this isn't going to be the only time that these things come up. But one of them is speaking in tongues. Um, The other one is prophetic speech. 
The other third one is speaking the truth. And the fourth is gracious speech. These are the four areas that the Lord has convicted me about purifying not just my speech, but the speech of our church. I'm going to say them again if you're writing them down. Speaking in tongues, prophetic speech, speaking the truth, and gracious gracious speech, if I can say that word correctly. Speaking in tongues. Uh, 1 Corinthians 14 verse 4 says this, the one who speaks in a tongue builds up himself, uh, but the one who prophesies builds up the church. When you pray in tongues, now if you don't know what that is, it's a powerful spiritual gift. And we had a moment, matter of fact, a couple of weeks ago where the Holy Spirit came and gave people the gifts of tongues. You know what the gifts of tongues are? Ask someone, look it up. It is when God gives you a divine utterance from heaven, the Spirit is speaking through you. Um, it sounds like gibberish, but it's not. It is a powerful, heavenly language, and it's something that only God can understand. And when you speak this way, you build yourself up in the spirit. I remember um, a a young girl um, one time got the gift of tongues, and she only got one word. Um, It was shama or something like that. And she said the word, and you start to see this life come into her. Some people speak in tongues, and they can talk for hours, and it's amazing. Certain people have a few words that they say, but I want to challenge you to ask the Holy Spirit to give you the gift of tongues. Here's why. Because when your speech has not been purified, right? When you have bitterness and you have malice and you have anger, you pray inaccurate prayers. I'm going to say that again. Matter of fact, the Bible says, be kind to your wives so your prayers are not hindered. So anything that is in your heart that shouldn't be there hinders the power of prayer. That's why it says the prayers of the righteous. What is righteous? The prayers of the purified character, purified by the spirit. The prayers of the righteous availeth much. When we get people in a room that have been cursing each other out on Instagram and and getting mad at people and we have prayer gatherings, those prayer gatherings are ineffective. The prayers of the righteous are powerful and effective. So the prayers of the pure, we've been purified by the blood of Jesus, mind, soul, body, and mouth. So if you would allow God to purify your speech in this season, it's going to put some power in your prayer life. Because God is saying, I need you to be pure. I need you to be righteous. And so what happens is, especially in season where we're struggling with this, when we pray in tongues, the spirit who, um, I think the spirit probably has pure speech. What do you think? (laughs) So when my speech is struggling to be pure, I pray in the spirit and that's pure speech. Like pray in the spirit. And I would challenge you to pray in the spirit because people who don't pray in the spirit, but chase the plans of God, they're not building themselves up enough to be able to handle the plans of God. So pray in the spirit. The Bible says the one who speaks in a tongue prays or prays in the spirit. And another way of saying it builds himself up. Ephesians 6.18 says, pray in the spirit at all times and on every occasion. Stay alert and be persistent in your prayers for all believers everywhere. So praying in the spirit helps you pray for people that you don't want to pray for. You know, when you're praying for the, in the spirit and you are, uh, 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 when you're praying in the spirit and you're praying for people that you wouldn't pray for in English, when you pray in the spirit, you're praying for God to bless someone who hated on you. When you pray in the spirit, 
you're playing, praying for someone to keep the car that they stole from you because they needed it. Like when you're praying in the spirit, you're praying prayers you would never pray in English. When you're praying in the spirit in English, you're saying, Lord, get me out of it. When you're praying in the spirit, you're saying, Lord, get me through it. You see the difference when you pray in the spirit, you're praying things that you don't even have the capacity to pray. When you're praying in English and someone's gonna pass away, you're praying, Lord, let them live. When you're praying in the spirit, Lord, give me peace when they go. When you're praying in the spirit, it is often different than when you pray in English. Praying in the spirit is no joke. We got to start praying in the spirit. I think if we can get this right, now that doesn't mean, I don't have time to get in all this, but that doesn't mean you come down here in a church and yell on Sunday and start yelling tongues in service. That does not mean that. The Bible says, do not do that. It doesn't edify or build up anybody. That is something that you are supposed to do between you and God. And the Bible says, unless there's an interpretation, then you're not supposed to do that. The Bible's very clear. But when you are in your personal prayer time, you can shout and spit and slobber all you want to, but don't come in here shouting, spitting, and slobbering because the Bible says that puts the attention on you and it helps no one. But oh, in your prayer life at home, pray in the spirit. We got to be speaking in tongues. The second way I believe the Lord wants to purify um, our speech to unify us all is prophetic speech. 1 Corinthians 14, 5, the very next verse, Paul's saying this, the writer, um, I wish you could all speak in tongues, but even more, I wish you could all prophesy, for prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. Prophecy is greater than speaking in tongues. And let me give you the version of prophecy. The Greek word of prophecy is, means to foretell or predict, predict the future as the Lord reveals it. But it's not just telling someone what's going to happen in the future. Watch what else it is as I've gone one too many pages too long. It also is to give divine insight on a current situation. Divine insight. So you can be um, trying to speak during a political time or during the time of the church. And honestly, when I had some people not like what I had to say, some of that stuff was emotion, and I shouldn't have said it, but some of the stuff that wasn't liked, I believe I was speaking prophetically. I believe God was giving me divine insight into certain situations. And if you are speaking prophetically, right, that means that certain people aren't going to like what you have to say. And in order for us to speak prophetically, we have to stop being so scared of what people think about what we have to say and start asking ourselves this question, how much do I love this person I'm about to say this to? Because when I'm afraid of what they're going to think, right, then I won't say what God is asking me to say. But when I'm too unafraid of what they think and I don't love them, then I say too much. See, what happened to me was it wasn't that I was afraid of what people had to say. I was saying too much because there wasn't the love for the, in my heart for the person I was saying it to. But even when the love comes, the Bible would suggest that every prophet in the Old Testament was killed by religious people. So the people, if you're on the right track and hear me, hear what I'm saying, if you have the love of God in your heart and you deeply love the people that you are prophetically trying to correct, the Bible says you will have a clue that you got it right when they don't like it and they want to kill you for it. Oh my God. When the people you're trying to help want to hurt you, you know you're on the right track. Come on, somebody shout amen. When the people I'm trying to help want to hurt me, I know I'm getting it right. You sure you won't be in ministry? Nope. Sure you won't be a prophet? I quit. You better be careful. You better be careful. Luke 6, verse 26, which I forgot this verse was in the Bible, and I'm glad the Holy Spirit led me to it. 
This is Jesus. Woe to you when all people speak well of you. For so their fathers did to the false prophets. So you know you're getting it wrong when everybody likes it. When no one's complaining about what you said. When you don't get the DMs like, I don't know about that. You know you've gotten it wrong when everybody's like, good job. Way to unite us. See, we have to be careful. Purifying our speech does not mean that you say what doesn't ruffle any feathers. Come on, I'm preaching to somebody. Purifying speech is that you're motivated by the love of the people whose feathers you're trying to ruffle. Can I say that? Because later, watch this. Watch this. Speaking of ruffled feathers, Matthew 23, verse 37 says, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, the city that kills the prophets and stones God's messengers. How often I wanted to gather your children together as a hen protects her chicks beneath her wings, but you wouldn't let me. What is he saying? Because the prophetic people came and ruffled your feathers, I couldn't gather you and protect you because you didn't like what they had to say. Wow. You don't like what they had to say. So prophecy is a... Um, giving a predictive future from God, directed by God. So even if you get it right, but God didn't tell you to say it. And, and there's a passage of scripture, you gotta be careful. A false prophet is not someone who was incorrect about a word. A false prophet can, it can be a false prophet, but a false prophet is also someone who is correct, but God did not send them. I didn't tell you to say that. You're right, but I didn't tell you to say that. And I think mainly through the platform of Instagram, there were times where I was being a false prophet. Not because I was wrong, but God did not send me to say that. Wow. Let's give you guys a little bit of break on that one. Because if I'm right, there's no way I'm a false prophet, right? No. All I have to be to be a false prophet is for me to say something that God didn't ask me to say. And that makes me in some situations a false prophet, even if I'm Right. The Spirit of God is like, did I tell you to say that? No. We have to get better at this. So, so to be clear, prophecy is not just saying something that is of God. It is making sure that, it, that God also wants you to say that at this time. Sometimes you have to withhold what you think is prophetic. Prophetic words that don't have prophetic timing are not prophetic words. I'm going to say that again. Prophetic words that don't have prophetic timing are not prophetic words. When you bust open the door of a meeting and go, hey, everybody, listen to me. I got a word. When these people, crazy people stand up in church and just start yelling and shouting and drawing attention to themselves, do you get what I'm saying? This is wildly important, but the Bible is also clear that we should desire prophecy. We should desire to get a, design, a divine insight on things that are happening now and a predictive prophetic future on things that are coming later. We got to desire that to hear from God in that way. And I believe that the person who is willing to purify their heart, because the Bible says out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. The person who's willing to purify their heart, therefore purifying their speech, will start to hear from God in ways you couldn't possibly imagine. We got to get better at speaking prophetically. The third thing is speaking the truth. And um, I am going to um, land on this last thing because I think when I was saying certain things, I was like, well, I'm telling people the truth. I'm telling people the truth. And some of it was the truth and some of it wasn't. 
And uh, this is important that we understand what truth is because I think that we don't know what truth is. And I know that we don't know because I don't know. And unless you know more than me, which you might, uh, then how come you didn't tell me anything? Because like it says, if you know the truth, you should speak the truth. But I believe that God is taking us into deeper revelations of the truth. John 16 verse 13 says this, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own, but he will tell you what he has heard. So he's speaking the truth to you prophetically. He's not telling you on his own. He's sent. So whenever we tell the truth, again, even if it's true, if we are not sent and we are saying it on our own, we're in danger. It says when the spirit of truth comes, he'll guide you into all truth. And that word guide means to be led. He'll lead you into all truth. So truth is a leadership thing. It's not telling people the truth. It's guiding people to it. The Holy Spirit guides people to the truth. Can I say this? Uh, and this is probably evolving a little bit. I'm not, I'm pretty sure, and I don't want to speak in absolutes and in and, and, and complete dogma, but I'm pretty sure God is not, has not given me the responsibility to tell people the truth in the way that I think that he's given me the responsibility to truth. I got to tell them what I think about this, 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 and that. And as God's been purifying my speech, he's saying, no, 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 no. That's not the type of truth I want you to say. Watch this. The Holy Spirit will come and guide you into the truth. What does that mean? The Holy Spirit, when we get filled with the Spirit, he comes and guides us into things that we didn't know before. So then why does the Bible say that we should tell people the truth? Here's where we get it wrong. In the Latin language, which a lot of our English language comes from, truth is a noun. It's a person, place, thing, or even an idea or opinion. So a lot of times we're saying, I'm just telling you the truth, and that's not the truth. It's an opinion. It's what I think. And in Greek culture, where we derive all of our language and all of our school of thought from, our ideas and ideology have become our truths. So we really think we're telling people the truth. That's why in our culture, we can say, live your truth. That's a thing. Live your own ideas. Live your, as your own person. Live in this own place. Those things are true. But that is not the biblical word of truth. The biblical word of truth in the Greek, you cannot translate to English very well. Watch what the biblical word of truth is. Listen to this. It comes from a Greek word, aletheia, aletheia. It is a truth or a promise. The, the word means unforgetting. The original word for truth is not a fact. It's the unforgetting. So when you're telling the truth, you're trying to help them not forget something that the spirit has already... You're not revealing anything to them. You're not changing their mind about something. That's not your job. If you feel that it's your responsibility to change the way someone thinks about something, that is opinion. No, if you are speaking the truth, you are walking in the unforgetting. You're saying, hey, remember what the Spirit told you. Remember what the Spirit led to you. That is the truth from a believer to a believer. Truth means unforgetting. Not just remembering, unforgetting. It is not just remembering, but unforgetting, alethe, unforgetting, the daily act of holding a promise present in your mind and heart and let that promise drive all that you do, literally unforgetting it, aletheia, 
Lethe in the river is a river in Greek myth that the dead drink from to forget their lives and pass all that matter to them so that they can cross the river and go into this shady underworld. So the New Testament writers are intentionally using a word that the Greek people would remember because they're trying to tell them, hey, you know you have that thing in the culture where if something goes wrong, you just forget it? No, this is how we're trying to communicate to you. Don't forget the truth that the Spirit revealed to you. Listen to this. Unforgetting. So when Paul says, hold fast to the truth, He is not saying to hold fast to an opinion you have in your head. He is saying, don't forget the promise. Keep unforgetting who loves you. Keep unforgetting what Christ has done. Keep unforgetting the gospel. Do you know how powerful this is? Matter of fact, in 3 John, John writes a letter in in 3 John, and he says, I'm writing to Gaius, my dear friend, whom I love in the truth. Wait, what? Whom I love in the truth. So he's saying the reason why I can love you, Gaius, is I'm unforgetting what makes you lovable. Oh my God, I feel like preaching. My wife, Christina, whom I love in the truth. That means what increases my capacity to love you are the things I'm unforgetting. I cannot unforget. Oh my God, I'm running out of time. I'm out of time. I ran out of time. Truth is unforgetting. So when we are speaking the truth to believers in love, we are reminding them of the things that the Spirit has showed them. We're saying you need to get better at unforgetting. Other passages of Scripture would say there's nothing more that I love to hear than to know my brothers and sisters are walking in truth. Have have you been good at unforgetting? Or have you forgotten all the things that Christ has done? You will never find a sad person. You'll never find a, a, a person who's discouraged who's good at unforgetting, who's good at walking in the truth. And matter of fact, if you're remembering all the things that have gone wrong this year in 2021, and you're not good at unforgetting all the things that went right for you and all the things that God did for you, be good at unforgetting. When you're good at unforgetting, you're walking in the truth. The truth is a profound memory of all the things that God has done. It is a profound memory of the gospel. It's so profound. It is present in your heart and in your mind. So when someone does something that's trifling, you can say, I'm unforgetting that Christ died for this very person who's irritated. It's present in the mind. We got to get good at this. I really believe if we are good as a church in these uh, three areas, the church is going to explode in favor and an understanding of the goodness of God. If we get better at praying in tongues so that our prayers are more accurate and we don't just pray our own will, our emotions, if we can uh, speak uh, divine wisdom about current situations that could only come from God. And remember, if we're speaking in the prophetic, they build, they strengthen, they encourage, they don't criticize, they don't tear down, they don't attack, they build, strengthen, encourage. And if we can actually literally be masters in the unforgetting, Not telling people our opinions, but telling people things that they should never forget. That is the truth. Things that the Spirit has revealed to them. And I want to clarify this. We tell the truth to believers. We tell the gospel to unbelievers. Because the gospel frees up and makes their spirit come alive so that the spirit can lead them to the truth. Without the Holy Spirit, no one can receive the truth. 
So when you post the truth about Jesus on wide platforms, only the Holy Spirit can lead them that truth. So if they say yes to it, that wasn't because of your eloquent post. The Spirit was already working. The Holy Spirit will come and lead them to the truth. You cannot lead someone to the truth. And so what I'm saying is, as believers, the only thing we can do with the truth is make sure that they don't forget the truth the Spirit has already led them to. And that is helping other people walk in truth. And when we're doing that, our our words will be filled with grace and filled with love because we, as we say these things, are walking in the unforgetting. I I haven't forget how much God loves me, and I haven't forgotten how much God loves them. And this will purify our speech and unify us as a church together. Can I pray for you? Father, I thank you that right now you are doing something profoundly powerful with the way that we speak to each other. And God, this is going to unify us in such a special way. And I'm praying, Lord, that you, Holy Spirit, not me, Pastor Julian, but you, Holy Spirit, would have and convict every single person to stop reposting and posting and taking things that don't build people up and start to hear from you prophetically and give divine insight from heaven about these social issues. And that they would have the gift of tongues and have the desire to ask you for that. And that they would walk in truth, literally the unforgetting, that they would never forget what you have done. And they would help each other not forget. And that the enemy of the truth would not be opinions. And so, Father, would you, would you do that in someone's heart right now? Would you have someone apologize for something that they said? Would you, would you help someone, including me, be slower to speak and quick to listen? Would you help us understand that we'll have to give account for every careless word that we said? And as you purify our speech, I believe as a church, we're going to be standing next to someone in worship that without the Spirit, we'd never want to be around, but that we would worship the Lord together because our hearts have been purified and our speech has been purified. Do this, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, we're going to throw to worship right now. Um, Don't check out. Have a powerful time of worship. I really believe that God is going to do something in our church as we engage in him and his presence and allow him to do some of the things that I shared today. Love you so much and can't wait to see you soon.